Welcome to week five of the What If series, where we want to start conversations for a better world based on the Ten Commandments. The fifth commandment is that we must honor our parents. So we're here in downtown Chicago asking people what they think about this idea. So we're asking them, what kind of impact did your father or mother have on you? And when is the last time you told them? Oh, I would say quite an quite a impact. Uh, great impact. Like impeccable impact. Ooh. Um... That's an interesting question. Um... Oh, um... They both were very selfless, always helping others. Well, for me, it was basically my mom, and she just, like, she's helped me with so much. Oh, they made a big impact in my life, because I've been through a lot in my life. That's a touchy subject, because I just lost both my mom and dad. Absolutely huge impact in my life. They defined who I am. My whole life is, is because of them. They're going to make me be emotional now. When's the last time you told them? Yesterday. I told her that last week, but I think she just, like, shrugged it off and, like, ignored me. But it's cool. <laughs> Honestly, I, f- I feel like it's been a while since I have even mentioned anything about that. Oh, last night. Yeah, we had a FaceTime talk last night since my mom lives in Brazil. My father, he's taught me how to be a working man. My father showed me what it truly meant to be a generous person. Very big impact. They taught me everything I know. I wouldn't be the person I am now without them. So... Love you, Mom and Dad. Well, good morning. Happy Sunday. Good to have you here. Special welcome to those joining us uh, upstairs at Crossroads in Highland Park. So 15 years ago, in a moment of weakness, I agreed to sign up for a martial arts class with my son, who was in middle school. I was not expecting, you know, you know, to star in any upcoming Bruce Lee movies. I, I did not expect to be very good at any of this. I did expect to be sore. What I did not plan on was the ongoing humiliation that would be a part of this. Uh, about a month in, for the first time, we were in Taekwondo. It's all about kicking. And uh, a month in, the instructor turns to me and says, okay, Mike, you're up. We're going to actually do some sparring today. And so she gives me this sparring outfit, and that's embarrassing enough. And then after I've got that on, she says, okay, who am I going to have you spar with? And she picks a 13-year-old girl. (laughs) And I'm looking around going, how do I do this if I kick her and knock her down, that's bad. Uh, and, and if I don't kick her and actually get knocked down, that's got its own issues. And as soon as they said go, this girl came at me like a tornado. And she is, and I'm just sort of skipping around the mat trying to avoid getting kicked. And then instructor blows the whistle and says, Mike, you've got to, you, okay, you've got to defend yourself. You've got to kick her. And so, I take a kick, and the whistle blows again. It was an illegal kick. I got sat down in the corner because I've done something wrong. Then there was the whole breaking the board thing. Most of the people in the class were 14 and under. I was one of the few adults, and so we would, we would sort of go through the lesson, and then at the end, when the parents all came to pick up their kids, there would be this little, you know, show and tell time. And so we've all been practicing breaking boards. Breaking boards is not that hard, except... 
for reasons I still have no idea why I did this. When they asked me how I was going to break the board, I named this kick, which required me to bring my leg up high and to break the board coming down. I had done that successfully when it was, you know, the the 10-year-old holding the, the board down here. But this guy steps in, and he holds the board up here. And I, when he holds it up there, I look at him, and I go, like, seriously. And he shakes his head, no. So now I am doing everything I can just to get my leg that high. I have no downward power. I can't break the board. The four-year-olds are breaking the board. I can't break the board. Three times I try and break the board. My son, who I'm doing this with, is now hiding under a mat. He's so embarrassed by his father. This, that's just the start of it. It was ongoing. One of the things, though, that stays with me more than that was, was the very first day. And there was a, an, a, a red belt. I don't really, never figured out how these things work. But I could tell she was a little bit higher up the food chain. And she was instructed to teach me and my son what was called basic form. It was the initial drill. And we go through basic form. It's 16 moves. We, we get it down. And, and I said, so and then that's the last move. She goes, right, but then you say thank you. And I said, okay. And she said, every time. And I said, okay. She said, every time. And I said, oh, thank you. Thank, thank you. She says, ma'am. I said, okay, thank you, ma'am. She says, and you need to bow. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> every time, I'm like, okay, thank you, ma'am. I, it, was just, it, 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 I, it struck me odd in that context to be giving honor to a 14-year-old in a culture in which we don't know a lot about honor. So welcome to the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother, that you may live a long life in the land that your father gives you. Honor your father and mother. Now, I want to start by noting, this is an enormously difficult sermon to preach because people are in such different places. Some of you had great parents, have great parents. They're thoughtful, wise, loving, kind, safe. And to be told that you should honor them makes good sense. Some of you have had parents who have been anything but loving or kind or wise or safe. Horrible things have happened in your family. And to be, to be told that you should honor them is unthinkable for all kinds of obvious reasons. Additionally, some of you are parents, and you may be estranged from your adult children. I hear that with some frequency. Pray for me, I haven't talked with my daughter in eight years. Pray for me, I, you know, don't see my grandkids at all. I'm not allowed to pray for... So I know that that is out there. And you may look at this and say, uh, I now think this is my fault. I did some things wrong. I understand why my children are, are not interested in having a relationship with me. Some of you may say, it's, it's no, this wasn't my fault. This is my kid that, that is doing this. But to hear how families are supposed to work is a little bit of salt in the wound. And so I just want to acknowledge this is an enormously complicated and emotional topic. 
So I'm just aware of my own reactions to family. Like many people, I started to clue in that my family was different in some ways. Every family is different in some ways. But you start to clue into this when you go to college. And you're hearing about other families and you go, well, that isn't how our family did it. And sometimes you start to realize, maybe we weren't doing it the right way. As a college pastor, I lived this a thousand times over as I was trying to, to help students who were waking up to the fact that, that some very dysfunctional things had been part of their, of their growing up years, or to help them navigate gaining independence and to do it in ways that would actually perhaps lead to independence. And then uh, I remember two other very significant things. One was um, 15 years ago when we still had a, a landline. Sherry called me one day and she said, um, there's, a, there's been a message on our, on our machine, and I know you've been saving it. I don't know what it is, but I know you've been saving it. And I just got a message from the phone company when I picked up the phone saying, this message has been saved for 100 days, and it's going to be erased. And she goes, so I'm just telling you that. I don't, I don't know what's going on. And I started to cry, which is not what I do very often. And I said, the message is from my dad, who my dad had a great fourth quarter. Uh, our relationship was very complicated, and when, when Sherry and I met, she said, you were so wound up about your dad and so angry, and I, there, I went through 10 years where I really didn't like the guy and was trying to process what it meant to honor your father when I was really so mad at him. And my dad came to faith uh, late and grew and changed in so many ways. It was shocking. Uh, the, my brothers and sisters and I would get together and go, who is this guy? And where was he 30 years ago when we were growing up? Well, so my dad is growing and changing, and, and I, I know that as much as he wanted this phone call to be casual, my dad never called me. He, he had called, and he had left a message, and at the end of the message, he says, oh, by the way, I just want to tell you I love you and I'm proud of you. And those were things I just hadn't heard. And so I kept the message. And I said to Sherry, I go, I'm mystified at the power of that message to me. I, I listened to it over and over. And I said, I, it, I, I don't understand. I didn't even like the guy. And here he's got this control over me because he's my dad. <laughs> and he's expressing these things. And I said, I'm, I'm confused by this. I'm mystified by this. And I'm, I'm a little scared by this when I realize I may have this control over my kids. And am I, am I getting this message out there? And then uh, in the lobby, just right outside uh, the doors here at the Lake Forest campus, there was a conversation I had 15 years ago, 10 years ago. There was an older gentleman, mid-70s, and we were starting men's fraternity. And it's, it's, you know, it was a 6 a.m. event, and he comes up to me and he goes, Oh, Woodruff, 6 a.m., what are you thinking? This is, this, you know, why would I get up at 5-something to be here at 6 o'clock? What are you even going to talk about? And so I'm sort of giving him the high-level flyover, and I said, and, and I go, the talk I've been working on now, I was working ahead. I go, the talk I'm working on now is how important a man's relationship with his father is and how sometimes boys in particular get damaged by their fathers, not 
because their father is intentionally doing this, but in an effort to try and get their son to man up, they push too hard. And I said, so there's, I go, there's a lot of men whose father has been dead for 20 years, and they still are longing to hear their father say that they're proud, that he's proud of them. And this man, 75 years old, fairly tough guy, looks at me and then starts to sob. And it's like inconsolable sobbing. And after a minute, you know, I've sort of backed up and said, it's okay, you know, take your time. After about a minute, his wife wanders over, and she's looking at him and looking at me, and I said, well, we had a little conversation, and I mentioned it, and she goes, oh, okay. And so we wait a few more minutes, and then she says, I'm going to take him home, uh, and he still can't talk. I mean, it's just that the, the level of emotional reaction to conversations about about parents, about kids, about families. Uh, this is just a dicey topic. Add on to that the confusion that surrounds talking about the family. Like, what is a family? Uh, there's general agreement today that families are, are to blame for some of the dysfunction and discord and lack of civility and some of the problems that we have socially but there's not really any agreement on what the families have done wrong because there's not a whole lot of agreement on what a family is and what the ideal family should look like. So in light of that, this is a challenging topic uh, to take on, but I think a very important topic to take on. Uh, so let me just say the fifth commandment is the second of two commandments that are stated positively, which means it's a little bit more directive. I mean, there's things we're told to avoid, but that gives us a lot of freedom. We're told we've got to do this. And it is the, the first commandment of the second half of the Ten Commandments. So the first four deal with our vertical relationship with God. The second six deal with our relationships horizontally, our relationships with other people. And all of that, all of our relationships with others really pivot around our training, our nurturing, our understanding, the things we learn in a family or don't learn in a family. So additionally, before we jump in here, I want to say the Bible believes that the family is incredibly important. It's sort of the foundational institution more primary than the government, more primary than education, arguably more primary than the church. The family is the key, central, founding, grounding institution. And it has a very specific understanding of what a family is. It is not the traditional understanding, which traditionally, I'm not thinking about 1950s American traditional, I'm talking about historic traditionalism it's about the blood, right? It's about biology. Who are you related to? It's always, it's, you've got to stand by your brothers and, and your sisters and your cousin and because it's all about who you are related to. That's not the way the Bible sees things. Additionally, the Bible doesn't see things in sort of the, the neo-Americana classical 1950s evangelical family you know, mom and dad, 2.1 kids and a dog and a picket fence. Uh, that's not the understanding of family, the biblical understanding. Furthermore, it's not the contemporary modern understanding of a family, that my family is whoever I happen to be living with and loving, 
as long as I am feeling like I am committed to them. That's not the understanding of family. So when we look at this biblically, sort of look at the broad scope of things, all the things that the Bible teaches in the Ten Commandments, Paul writes about this a lot, Ephesians 6, Proverbs has got a lot of stuff about family. We pull this together, we would say, the family is, is a loving community. It is a learning community that is based not on blood, not on the rules of the state, not on feelings. It is based on a covenant relationship for a lifelong commitment. There's a sense in which to really understand family, you've got to understand that you, you have made a commitment and you are stuck with these people, right? And that, that, that's, that's part of what you got to understand about family because that's going to be motivating, growing, and moving forward. And additionally, there is an understanding of, a, of sort of a moral architecture that has at its center the primacy of parents, <laughs> which is different than the way a lot of contemporary families operate today. So, what I want to do is I want to share three reasons why I think the family is primary, why it's so important that we have healthy families. And then I want to speak to you sort of in whatever category you happen to be in. Everybody has parents. Not everybody's parents are alive. There's different stages that the Bible sort of scripts out in terms of the way our relationship and our interaction with our parents unfolds. So I want to try and be as practical as I can. But let me start by saying that there are at least three reasons why the fifth commandment is so important because healthy families are so important. The first one is because there is a spiritual dynamic at play with families. So God partners with parents in the creation of life and in the care and nurture and development of people who have been made in his image. And, and we see that this is, we see this in the language, right? God has revealed himself to us as father and son. <laughs> we get adopted into the family of God. The family has, has spiritual dynamics to it. And, and so it is important that we start by understanding that, uh, that, that the family is, is a spiritual entity and that we are partnering with God in, in the care and nurture and the loving environment that gets created. And, and I will simply note as a pastor that it is, there is an additional challenge for people to believe and trust God if they do not have a good relationship with their father, their earthly father. To the extent that their earthly father has been wise, gracious, loving, thoughtful, safe, believing in a God who is wise, loving, gracious, <laughs> safe, is much easier than it is for those who, who don't have that sort of starting assumption. So families, earthly families, are spiritual entities out of the gate. The second reason that the family is, is so important, the fifth commandment I think is, is so pivotal, is because 
healthy families are really the only place where where kids have got a chance to learn the two things they desperately need to learn in order to go forward successfully as adults. One is they're loved unconditionally. They're accepted. This isn't a performance relationship. They are cared for. They are valued. There is a place they can go and people will be for them. And they need to put the needs of others ahead of themselves. These, these, some would say that these are mutually exclusive ideas. Uh, I, I disagree with that. I would say that this is very much what we are called to learn as we understand ourselves to be children of God adopted into his family, that God loves us. It, it is a grace-based relationship. We are accepted on the work of another Jesus Christ, and, and God is forced. God's love for us is unconditional. We can, we can be safe with God and we are to follow Christ, die to self, pick up our cross, and serve others. And consider the needs of others more important than ourselves. To the extent that the family does one of these without the other, the kid is going to have a difficult time navigating life. And to the extent that, that, that the parents don't teach the children how to get along with other people, whether it's them or whether it's a, a brother or sister, they don't learn how to sort of subvert their own desires in order to interact with others, the extent that they don't learn that growing up, it's a mess in the classroom. I mean, lots of people can, can feed kids and give them a place to sleep. Right? Lots of places. The military. Yeah, there's lots of places that can feed, clothe, and give, give people a place to sleep. That's not a family. A family is trying to teach these two big ideas. We're accepted unconditionally. We are expected to die to self and serve others and consider their needs as more important than our own. The, uh, the third reason that, that family is so critical and this fifth commandment is so important is, is because we have to understand that for society to work, there has to be healthy families. We want a healthy society. We're instructed to pray for a healthy society. In Jeremiah, right? Pray for the city God has sent you. It was a, it was a, it was a pagan city that God had sent them. But, but work for, pray for, strive to help create a healthy environment. Because to the extent that, that the society that you live in is healthy, then, then we get called up. Life is easier when society is helping you do the right thing as opposed to when society is tempting us to do the wrong thing. So our society has many upsides to it. There's lots of good things about living today and living at this particular moment. But there's a lot of temptations to head down the wrong path. One of the reasons we have at all the campuses today, we have, we have displays around local mission opportunities, is because we believe we're called to love and serve other people, and we believe we're called to work for the betterment of the places where God has placed us. And so there's lots of different ministry opportunities for us to think about how we would do that. We need society to be healthy. And, and part of that is for our own advantage, which comes out of the fifth commandment. So honor your father and mother that you may live a long life in the land that your father has given you. So if you help to create a culture that honors parents and sort of by default that honors people that are older, then when you get older, you live in a culture that honors you. 
as opposed to a culture, which is an odd thing, but it's where we live today, where a whole lot of culture is not wisdom passed down from older people to younger. A whole lot of culture is driven by people who are in their, you know, 15 to 25. Because what we value is we value good looks and we value technical competence. And, and often those are things that are found in, in the greatest measure in people that are younger. And so there is a call to create a culture that honors parents and that, that has a society that honors people that are older. Now, there are other things that could be said about this, uh, about, about the fifth commandment. It's important, I think, to note that it's, uh, it's not a conditional command. It doesn't say honor your parents to the extent that they deserve it. By the way, every parent is messed up, right? All of us, always. So, but some do a much better job than others. It doesn't say sort of weigh your parents. That's the root of the word honor. Uh, it, it's, it, to, to honor is to recognize as heavy. So it's sort of a culture in which the, the people who had the ability to be overweight were people who had money and they had more uh, esteem. And so weigh your parents heavy is sort of a, at the root of this. Uh, it doesn't say weigh your parents and figure out how much honor they should get. It just says, you know, honor them. It's a gift that you're going to give. It's, um, it's not conditional. It's not reciprocal. So we're told honor our parents. Parents aren't said, told honor their kids. It's not what kids need from parents is honor. They need direction. They need, they need love and they need, they need direction, so not honor. It's also worth noting that this commandment, at a time in which uh, in a patriarchal society in which men own things, including their kids, uh, what we're told is honor your father and your mother, which was shocking in that day to honor your mother right alongside honoring your father. So there's a lot of things that, that we could unpack here. There's, there's a lot to think about in this commandment. I want to take a minute and, and give some practical counsel to you in various stages. So I, I, when I talk about parenting stages, I often talk about the caretaker, cop, uh, coach, and consultant. So when, when a child is young, you're a caretaker, right? Providing all the needs for the kid. And at some point, you move out of being a constant caretaker to being a, a, a cop, a police officer. You're policing their behavior. You're saying, you can play in the backyard, but you can't cross the street. You can eat this, but only after you eat that, right? We, we police behavior. So you act as a cop. And then at some point, they get older and you start to be a coach. So you're observing them living their life, and you're offering input, like it would work better if you do this as opposed to that, or, you know, uh, you're, you're a coach. And then eventually, if you do this right, then they become independent, and then you are a consultant. So Sherry and I have three boys. Uh, they're, they're all independent, and uh, the youngest one is married, and so um, we're in the consultant role. Every one of these stages has its own challenges. It's hard to be a consultant, which means you don't offer advice unless asked. So you want to be asked. And there's times when you're asking to be asked, but you're not getting asked. And so you just go, okay, okay, I'm not going to say anything because this, I want 
I want my kids to be independent, and that's, that's the goal. So that's the, the, the categories I typically talk about. I want to talk about three categories. They're a little bit different. First of all, I'm, I'm not talking to, to kids today. I'm not really even talking to high school or college students today. Uh, I'm, I'm talking to adults. So I want to talk to adults about parenting children. And the operative word here is not honor, it's obey, Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And uh, this, by the way, was shamelessly the first verse we taught our children to memorize. Children, obey your parents, right? It's a good thing. So uh, you want to teach them to obey you. You want to create a moral architecture. You want to create uh, a world in which they respect you. It's not a good thing for them not to respect you. It's not good for them, and it's not good for the family, and it's not good for society, right? So this is really something that is our responsibility when we have children. Deuteronomy 6.6, Moses says, look, teach your children Teach your children to obey the laws when you are walking and when you are sitting down, when you are sleeping, when you are rising up. In other words, all the time, as you're walking through life, teach your children about me, teach your children about the laws. This is part of the responsibility of being a parent, is, is modeling being gracious. Ephesians 6.1, by the way, tells fathers, don't exacerbate your children. So it's the same passage that says, children, obey your parents. Then later on it says, dads in particular, don't make it hard for your kids to obey you. <laughs> so what we, want, what we want to be as dads is like our Heavenly Father. Thoughtful, wise, safe, godly. Uh, we want to we be gracious. We want to we offer instruction. We want to shine a light ahead so they can navigate life. Our responsibility, if I was talking to kids, I'd say different things, but I'll say the responsibility of teaching children to obey. It's the responsibility of the parents. Secondly, there's a second phase where children become adolescents. And this gets interesting in different ways. Uh, I don't know whether or not you have ever thought about Luke chapter 2 as an example of this. I, I, it feels a little bit like a perverse pleasure to read Luke chapter 2, and to see that Mary and Joseph had challenges with Jesus when he became an adolescent. Uh, but indeed, that story is in here. Now, I want to be careful when I, when I tell it. I don't want to suggest that Jesus was disobedient. We know he was not. He was without sin. But part of the, part of the act of being an adolescent is to start to gain independence. And this comes with some heartburn for parents. And uh, we read about that in Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, would have been perfect if he was 13, but he was 12. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. Supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple. So 
I mean, the backstory here is they don't even expect Jesus to be hanging out with them. Right? I mean, they're like, you can almost hear the joke. You think Jesus wants to hang out with us? Like, we're the most uncool people on the planet. Jesus doesn't want to hang out with us. And so they don't even expect him to be around. They they go a day before they even realize, maybe he's not with us. Ten years ago or so, I took one of my boys to the movies. I was a little surprised he agreed to go. Go to the movies. Walk into the theaters. You know, there's 20 people in this movie theater. He sits down. I sit next to him. And he says, Dad, there's a lot of empty seats around here. And I said, here's the deal. I'm going to sit in this seat or I'm going to sit in your lap. But I am not buying your ticket and then hiding off in the corner. You know, I used to be cool. I I don't know when I became so, such an embarrassment to everybody. But I am not going to go sit in some dark corner of this movie theater. But, but you get a little bit of that vibe. Like, Jesus is not hanging out with Mary and Joseph. And so it's, it's, Three days before they find him. And, and it'll, it's worth noting, Jesus apologizes. Jesus obeys when they say they want him to do something. Jesus is not disobedient. But Jesus is learning and trying to gain independence, which is what adolescents are supposed to do. Now, I think it gets a little bit more complicated for us today than it was back then because we've lost a whole lot of the rites of passage that help us understand how we should be interacting with people of a certain age because we don't know. Am I supposed to treat this, this person like an adult? Am I supposed to? When can I tell them they have to do something? When do I let them fail? How do we work this out? And I think it's, it's as confusing as, for the parent and the child as it is for anybody. So uh, let me just note, Adolescence is, you know, the joke is adolescence is the six years between 13 and 19 where the parents age, age 25 years. Uh, but, but more technically, adolescence is, is something that starts with biology, like when puberty hits, and it ends with sociology when somebody, somebody achieves independence. They're responsible for themselves. Well, today, lots of people graduate from college and end up moving back home. What do you call a, you know, 23-year-old college graduate who's living at home? Are they an adult? How do you treat them? They've had perhaps four years of being independent. How do you, these are difficult, difficult times to navigate. Now, if I was talking to young adults, which I do, I say, I say things very differently than I'm saying at this particular moment. I say, first of all, I say, hey, do you think that you're smarter than high school students? Do you think you're smarter than the high school students? Yes. Okay. Do you think you're smarter than the middle school students? Yes. Okay. Do you realize that um, your parents are like five times older than you, than you are from these middle school students. So maybe they actually know some things that you don't think they know. So your parents are smarter. Generally, you treat people who floated you the kind of money your parents have floated you better than I think you're treating your parents. Uh, I, I say, look, this whole time of navigating independence is much 
easier for you because you're gaining independence. They're, they're actually losing control. And they were around for every stupid thing you've ever done since you were born. So they're going, oh my goodness, do we let them do this or not? I said, so you gotta, you gotta slow down and you gotta understand obeying or at least honoring your parents is a requirement. And the Bible is very forceful about this. So I am an advocate for parents when I'm talking to young adults. But I'm not talking to young adults right now. I'm talking to parents. And so I want to say, you should, let me put it this way. It's always helpful if at least one party in the discussion is thinking and acting like an adult. Oftentimes, neither one is. So you should expect your kids to practice on you. And I'm thinking practicing on you like spotting faulty thinking, uh, declaring their independence, uh, you know, all the things that you want them to get good at, self-initiative and going off and doing something, coming up with their own ideas. They're going to do that and they're not going to be very good at it and it's going to be hard and you just have to say, okay, this is actually important. I want them to learn these skills. I, I don't like it when they're pointing out the hypocrisy in my life, but it's good for them to be able to spot hypocrisy, right? So I've got to figure out how to navigate these things and do so in a way that keeps us together and moving forward. Um, So the final thing that I'll say is there then becomes a whole long period whereby many of us move out of any sense of obeying our parents, and we move into this category of honoring our parents. And I think it's a little harder today, again, because we live in a culture that honors youth, not, uh, not people that are older. Uh, th- there's a lot of people today push off getting married until they're later, which means they can often end up with, with young kids and older parents at the same time. And so there's sort of the sandwich generation getting squeezed. People, a lot more people are living longer, and so there can be greater demands placed on people that are younger. There's a lot of reasons why this can be a challenge. But this is not a conditional clause. Right? We are expected to honor our parents. I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know whether that means more visiting, whether that means calling them to say that you love them. I don't know whether that, that, that means something different. And I don't want to burden you under the weight of something. But I want to challenge you to figure out what that looks like. I was very impressed 15 years ago by a book that came out called The Tribute to write my parents' letters thanking them for what had happened. And again, I was, my dad had, was really changing, and it, was, it became much easier for me to do this. But I know that the letter that I wrote them was, was part of a breakthrough in our relationship, especially with my dad. I also wrote a letter to another person. Uh, we got married in our young, early 20s. We moved out to uh, Washington State. And there was still some growing up to do. And, a, and an older couple, he was a retired uh, Navy captain, sort of came alongside us. He was a bit of a curmudgeon. But he sort of acted for a while in sort of surrogate parent role. And I wrote him a letter uh, just acknowledging the different ways he had helped us and the thought and the, the, the many things that we had learned from him. And I didn't hear anything from him. Right? I wrote this very emotional letter. I thought I didn't hear anything from him. And I was a little embarrassed by it. And, uh, well, whatever. Uh, 
And then six months ago, I got a call. He, was, he just passed away. He was in his 90s. I'd visited him six months earlier. He was in his 90s. He just passed away. And his daughter said, okay, so my dad has kept this letter that you wrote him. Right? And it's been one of the things that he's had that we've, we've all known about. And we want to read this letter at his funeral. Can we do that? And I was thrilled that they wanted to do that. So, look, I don't know what it looks like for you to honor your parents. Or if you can, if they're, if they're alive. But this is the command. Right? This is the culture that we get called to. And this has ripple effects in ways that we cannot even begin uh, to fully appreciate. Honor your father and mother that you may live a long life in the land that your God has given you. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the counsel that you give us, uh, the wisdom that gets imparted to us through your word. Pray that we would be good stewards of that. I want to pray for, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, guilt or hurt or pain in this room, perhaps confusion. Spirit of God, we ask that you would uh, nurture and, and care for those who are trying to process what it looks like to, um, to double back and do some things, whether it's asking for forgiveness or it's just expressing grace or whatever it might be. Uh, Father, guide and protect the young children in this church. May they understand that they are greatly loved by you and by their parents. And may they understand the need to sort of um, follow you and die to self and pick up their cross and put the needs of others ahead of their own. Help families grow strong in ways that help society grow strong. Guide and protect us, we pray, Heavenly Father, in Christ's name. Amen.